great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just after Ooh, ran down. Everybody, amazing! I'm not gonna remember any of it. That's good. Way to go! All over the Rams today and Rammy. I mean, now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's house? Wow! Rammy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host Dean, and I'm joined as always by my brother and the other fantastic host of this show, Nick. And Nick, the Rams are in the playoffs. The Rams are officially playoff bound. It was improbable. It seemed like it couldn't happen, but they're here. And first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? Amazing. I thought for sure the Mason Rudolph magic would have ended and the Steelers were going to lose to the Seahawks. But after a nail-biter, Mason Crosby miss, the Rams win, and they're playoff bound before even the end of the season, it's an amazing feeling. I did not think we'd be here at this point in the season, but here we are. We found a way. Uh, they found a way to beat the Giants. They turned the ball over four times. They punted five times. They missed two extra points. They gave up four sacks, and they were just two of nine on third and fourth down opportunities in that game. And they still found a way to win. And obviously, the Giants gave us a couple of opportunities, but the Rams waited in Newark to see the, the final result of the Steelers and Seahawks game. And they actually sat in the team plane. It's currently held at the Newark airport while they were watching to see the final result. And the Steelers actually came away with that win, which means the Rams were a lock to be in the playoffs. So locked up the playoff spot, which was really interesting. And they're currently the sixth seed. So they would travel to Detroit if they remain in that seeding. So this is where it kind of gets a little bit interesting based on the final week of the season and, and what can happen. So the Rams own the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints, who are both 8-8. Eight and eight. So they're not the teams that we have to worry about. It's the Green Bay Packers. They own the head-to-head tiebreaker over us, and they're also 8-8. Eight eight. So the only way we're bumped out of the sixth seed would be if the Green Bay Packers beat the Bears at home and we lose to the 49ers. And to me, it absolutely matters. Like, in the history of the seventh seed, AFC and NFC, over three, a three-year period, are 0-6 combined. So the seventh seed doesn't win. And if you give yourself an opportunity to beat the sixth seed and win the final week of the season, you're going to have a potential opportunity to travel – and, you know, keep the spread a little bit closer in a game like Detroit. Um, and I think everybody in Detroit would be a little bit nervous to see Matthew Stafford come into that building. So the implications Absolutely. are really interesting. This this picture, too, I mean, you know, it, it's got Philly at two and Dallas at five, which is already swapped. Right. So, right. Like it's, well, so it's that's – and that's – that's what's next, right? Because if the Lions are – if they're not going to rest their starters. So I was actually interested. I was like – who would we play, right? If we were locked in the sixth seed, if we're locked in the seventh seed, so we do end up locked in the sixth seeds. The Lions, the Cowboys, and the Eagles are all at 11-5 and five right now. So all Dallas has to do is beat Washington to lock in the NFC East, which would presumably put them in the two seed because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Lions. So Detroit could win, and we'd still be playing them if we beat San Francisco. And then if we're the seventh seed, much different story. Right. So that to me is the Cowboys. Yeah. Then you're probably going to get the Cowboys in Dallas, which is to me is a much more difficult game versus having to go into Detroit. And uh, yeah, Dallas, who's undefeated at home, um, has all the help from the refs (laughs) in Jerry world. Um, But yeah, I mean, 
it's a shame because it does feel like that six seed is is where you want to be. It's just funny that it's it aligns to that. Well, it, it puts a little more on this game upcoming, right, against the San Francisco 49ers. So Jordan just yeah. tweeted out that Tyler Johnson was just signed to the active roster. So it could be alluding to the fact that the Rams are going to rest some starters or they're going to potentially start some guys and let them play out throughout the first half. Maybe a guy like Puka Nakua could get his record, right, and get the job done, have his five right. catches for 29, 30 yards and break the all-time receiving record and receptions record. So, that, I mean, that's something that you definitely want to keep in mind, but you want to make sure you're focusing on the following week and the health of your entire roster. And you're not going to do yourself any favors if you're playing starters against backups, unless you want to definitely lock in the six seat. So there's, there's definitely a lot at stake. I think the Rams are trying to be prepared for everything with how they're kind of moving around the roster a little bit, calling up some guys. And the kicker news, Nick, I mean, we talked about it in previous weeks. You could lose a playoff game with a bad kicker. We got rid of Luke DeLeg, who wore number eight. Lucas Haverisic missed two extra points in this game, and you brought back Brett Maher. So I guess they just did a jersey swap, Nick, because they were both wearing the same damn number. It's going to be. A, there was a nightmare scenario that I laid out during the Rams game as we were watching it where we get stopped, the Giants get the ball back, we punt. And Mason Crosby, who was on our practice squad, who we cut to keep this, you know, Luke the leg kid, comes in and drills a 50-yarder to win the game and knock us out of our playoff spot. And I came so close to that exact scenario happening. But Mason Crosby, there's a reason why he wasn't on our on our team and was cut from, from our practice squad, misses the 52-yard kick. And it's just, it's just another carousel. Uh, I, I mean, I can't imagine bringing back somebody that was so bad, but I guess he was good enough to hit extra points, which is probably the thought process of our front office for bringing him back in. But there has to be better talent available for this position. I There, there has to be somebody else out there <laughs> besides somebody that we already had and has been cut. From the team. Yeah, I like I like the kid from Alabama. I watched him yesterday. He was hitting 50 yarders like it was his job, like it was nobody's business. And Brett Maher, I think he was only bad so far this season outside of 50 yards. Like he's made his extra points. He's made everything, not everything, but mostly everything within 40 yards. So, I mean, that's not necessarily the concern. It's like just be able to make your extra points. But the other concern is like, remember what he did last year at this time of year when he played for the Dallas Cowboys and he was missing extra points like it was his job. So that's what I think is going to be a little bit scary, right? It's like you're setting up for an extra point. You have That's an another nightmare scenario. Yeah, you're going to Dallas and, you, you know, your guy's just lined up and he's missing extra points and he's right back in the same building where everybody hated him and, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it right now because you just get there, right? Finish the final week of the season, stay healthy, and then figure out who your opponent is if you have to travel to Dallas and you worry about Brett Maher going into that building. But if you play Detroit – figure you have an opportunity to win the game late in the game. Maybe it's not due to a field goal. So I'm just overwhelmingly impressed with the coach and the GM. I mean, we talked about this previous to the season starting. was like, what is our expectations? What do we think success looks like? And it's winning nine games, winning 10 games, and finding yourself in the playoffs. And I think when this quote came out for Sean McVay, model the way, I think we were all thinking to ourselves like, okay, we heard we, not me. We heard mob squad. We've heard some of these other isms that Sean McVay has put on the whiteboard and has kind of built his foundations against. But this one seemed a little bit different because it was dependent on the three weight bearing walls that they decided to keep within the building. 
right? And it was all about those three guys specifically finding a way to be able to teach the remaining players on the roster, all of the young kids, the kids that they were busing in on a school bus, how to play football the right way, how to play it at a championship caliber. And that's what Sean McVay does. In seven years now, Nick, this is absolutely ridiculous. So seven seasons so far, he has more Super Bowl appearances than losing seasons. Just remarkable. Two Super Bowl appearances to one, one losing season. And this actually happened after the 2021 season when they went on to win the Super Bowl. But he has more winning seasons than the St. Louis Rams did in 21 years. Sean McVay, six. The St. Louis Rams, four. I mean, Mike Martz, <laughs> Mike Martz was there for a little while from 2000 to 2005 and had a decent win-loss percentage. Obviously, we remember Dick Vermeil and everything that happened after the fact. The building. And I think the McSneed combination is one that you just can't take for granted because it's one that's going to lead you potentially back to a Super Bowl. The way that they've hit on draft picks, the way that they've hit on free agency, and the way that they've been able to maintain the three most important players on the roster just makes this so damn impressive. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of what we're at right now. I think, I think McVay also was like six wins away from like the most wins ever from a Rams coach as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, wow. John McVay and Chuck Knox. Yeah, I mean, 76, so this is inclusive of playoffs. The 79, so he's just four wins away from being the all-time Rams win uh, leader, and it's 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 so impressive because it also puts them in the same kind of company in terms of win loss records. And I'm just going to set the table here. No, this is a little ridiculous, just based on the timeline and how long Sean McVay has been coaching in this league. But in terms of idols and who he frames his whole legacy based on, and who he's had a really close relationship based on, John McVay and the grandfather in the 49ers is Bill Walsh. Like you've heard about it constantly. It's a very, very identical win-loss percentage in the regular season. Sean McVay in seven seasons is at 605%, and Bill Walsh is at 609% in 10 years. And then there's obviously Tom Landry, who I just wanted to put in for the sake of comparison. 29-year period where he won, what, six over 60% of his games. So that, you know, obviously the template happened way back when. Sean McVay, though, tries to mirror everything, his foundation's the way that he wants to run his organization, the way that he wants to be revolutionary with change based off of a guy like Bill Walsh, based off of a guy like John McVay. I don't know. I, just, I, I could continue going on about John McVay, but I just want him in the building. We've talked about this before, but for the rest of his career, whether it's front office, whether it's coaching, he's the best thing that's ever happened to the organization. So just yeah, giving I mean, him the kudos when it's when, where it's due. He already confirmed another year. So yeah, yeah sure did. Twenty twenty four. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact contract entails, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's locked in for the foreseeable future. So, it's it's been an, an incredible seven years, especially at a point this year where you have last year as your most recent reference, and you're three and six. You're at the midway point in the season, maybe a little later, and you're just thinking like, was it a one hit wonder? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I. I know you weren't thinking that, Dean, but I know a lot of fans were like, all right, like tank, get this guy out of here potentially. Like he doesn't even really want to be here. And the turnaround to see it happen during a season, I feel like it's almost more of a like a cinematic story than to watch it all happen during an off season. Because yeah. you're not out there making plays, you know, bringing in giant stars um, and like having like a whole off season and completely resetting you're using everything that you have in the building with these young players to completely turn around a season that looked in to be in true turmoil. And that's all just because of 
the weight bearing walls and to have somebody like Sean McVay just lead every single one of those men. It's, yeah, it's I mean, incredible. I mean, I right now, I don't know how he's not the coach of the year. I mean, maybe you want to make a claim at Dan Campbell just from bringing that from the, his three year span of like that terrible franchise turned around. But, yeah. I mean, they're I mean, going to win 12 games this year. I think I'm probably right. Dan Campbell. Yeah. Let's not forget, I mean, like you just said, the St. Louis era, four winning seasons. Like, it's not like this Rams franchise was, like, the top echelon of the NFL. In no way was it ever. I mean, we had Greatest Show on Turf, and we had Jim Everett, and that was kind of it, you know? Like, that's that's all we were. And now, just, like, complete relevancy, you know, always in the playoffs, essentially, and just always fighting, being just a team that doesn't give up and it's amazing. You're right. Like, I yeah, you got to give uh, got to give Eric Dickerson a little credit. The original right, Rams, right. I mean, the yeah, team in the '80s that went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Jack no, Bowl, but I know, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying because, in terms of our fandom and our relevancy, and kids that are growing up becoming fans of the Rams and Sean McVay, like this is the foundation that you want to be able to lay. And you remember back to November 5th, it was like the Brett Ripping game. Everybody thought that the, everything was falling down. Samuel L. Jackson was tweeting out that he wants a coaching change in Los Angeles. Is it time? We're like, why the hell Samuel L. Jackson have an opinion on the Rams as a coach? It's just, it didn't make any sense. So, and and you know what's really interesting is like the outside media seems to be giving Sean McVay the most credit for this season. When in reality, he re- remodeled the entire offense after he traded a ton of picks and, and whatever else for Jared Goff in the February of 2020 and had to overcome Tom Brady and Kyle Shanahan just to get back to the damn Super Bowl after already getting there in his second season. He has a better winning percentage than Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Mike Ditka, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson. Like It wasn't only the scheme change. It wasn't only the hirings of coaches in the offseason. It wasn't just being able to properly teach those intricacies from those other coaches that they brought in outside, but it's, it's all based on previous experience. It's based on being able to delegate. It's based on being able to bring in young players who had an underdog mentality and a really, really strong desire to win and succeed. And it's, it's the perfect storm. So you're going into a playoff game, uh, already having the opportunity to, to clinch a playoff spot with a young team. And you're thinking to yourself, Hey, we win one, you know, this is going to be really good for, for the young kids moving forward. And then you look into 2024 and 2025 and you're hopeful that McSneed can cook up another Super Bowl run just based on it looks like there's a little bit of a pattern. Wild card loss, Super Bowl loss, missed playoffs. Divisional loss, Super Bowl win, missed playoffs. What's What comes next? A wild card win and then a Super Bowl win, a wild card loss, a division. What comes next with this, this group? I mean, that's that to me is why I love them so much. It's like count them out, bet against them, and they'll overcome it. And um, they, they just continue to impress. I really, you know, like you look at the teams, like the top caliber teams in the NFC, and you take out the team that has a bye just for a second, just just place them on the side because they're not in the in, in the first round. Eagles are going the wrong direction. The Lions are the Lions, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Be and and you, you have us with with a, this amazing front office and the three huge players that were detrimental in winning a Super Bowl. And, you know, it's, you, you do feel good about your chances. I want to not get to the point where I am like, Oh, the Rams, the Rams are going to win it. They can win it because that was never what this season was really about. But to be in, in this position right now where that thought can cross your mind, huge. That's what it's, that's exactly what it's all about. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, this game against the Giants was insane. And there's some good takeaways. And I think some really good things that are applicable, not only next week against San Francisco 49ers, but whomever else you're going to play in the playoffs, all of this stuff is going to come into play. Matthew Stafford throwing two interceptions after being so damn surgical coming off of the bye. But after a full UCL sprain, he gets um, he gets a pass, I think, for throwing two interceptions in the last Air six weeks. He yeah. just just seemed a little bit off, partially due to the wind of the Meadowlands. He took four hits. He was dealing with the blitz. They weren't running as efficiently. All things that factor into turnovers for quarterbacks. And those are the only times he's turned the ball over this season. So, yeah, you know, what? just, just kind of yeah. keep that in mind. Like when everything's working perfectly, Matthew Stafford is taking, taking care of the ball as well as anybody else in the entire league. But when things aren't working as well, when he's taking hits, when they're not running as efficiently, when Sean McVay gets a little pamped in his play calling and it gets a little forced, that's when he turns the ball over. Kyron, he failed to get over 100 yards, rushing yards, but he did go over 100 total yards and had three touchdowns, which was a career high. And the Rams, I think Jim Everett tweeted this out. Now, obviously, you're missing Allard Jackson in this game, but part due to the bare front, which is the three bigs that just clog the middle gaps, which I think in theory works really well against a duo scheme, right? Because it's all against, it's all about double teams and everything in the middle, right? So I, I think that that's a really good uh, defense that could be replicated, I think, down the stretch in the playoffs because it certainly slowed down our run game a tad. And I believe the Baltimore Ravens um, introduced that a little bit um, in the second half of that of that game. So, you know, just a couple of calls. And then Puka Nakua, we talked about it. Bill Groman, Puka Nakua, very, very familiar with each other. 1,445 yards with one game left to play. Bill Groman, he holds the rookie record of 1,473 yards. It's it's Puka's time. I mean, like we talked about before, you got to keep him in the game to be able to get this record. I think Sean McVay was on the, the Coach McVay show the other day, and he was like, I know some guys talking about some records. You know, we might want to be able to get them some snaps and then be able to get them out of the game. Hey, 30 yards for Puka Nakua is not much. As we no, said. I mean, yeah, it's not. I hopefully, I mean, do you want them? Let me just sidebar everything that I was about to say. Do you want them to try to win this game? Yeah, I do. I want them to lock in the sixth seed and then have an opportunity to go play Detroit. Okay, like, because that I mean, that's I, the best, that's the, the first of all the best wild card game of the week. But second of all, I think it gives you the best opportunity to win. That's must see television, hundred yeah, uh, percent. Couldn't agree more. But I, to me, it's just like the San Francisco team that has given us nothing but trouble consistently, right? Um, maybe they're going to be benching people. Maybe not. Like, they already clinched the one seed. And I don't know. Yeah, McCaffrey's out already. Right. Like, I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing. But, you know, you, you got to the dance, essentially. I'm, I'm fine if, if they think the best thing to do is to give – like Donald Cup, Puka, oh, same. Um, Stafford, rest, you know what I mean? Like you know, some linemen here and there, uh, what have you. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, to me, I, like, I, I'm not really sitting here like, yeah, let's go and beat San Francisco. Like I, yeah, yeah. I'm it came out. It, it, I don't care. I mean, I, I genuinely do not care about the records. It came out today that Puka has the most total yards of any rookie in the history of the NFL. So that's rushing and receiving, which to me – is more emblematic of the kind of player that he is, right? Because he's so essential in the run game. He's obviously a great pass catcher. But to me, he would be the guy that said, Coach, I don't give a shit about the record. I just want to win the game. If we're going to sit starters, I'm going to be with the team. I'm going to do whatever the team has to do. 
Like if they, if coach says, go ahead and go get the record and Puka's is on board, he could be puking Nakua. He could be Juka Nakua. He could be whatever the hell you want him to be and he'll get the job done. So, yeah, I, I just don't, I mean, I just see a nightmare scenario of something horrible happening when you're like trying to just get this record and then, you know, the postseason kind of falls apart. Don't even speak into existence. Well, no, I know. It's just like, that's the kind of stuff that can happen if you, yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, well, are we just going to pretend like ego doesn't exist? Like, like Puka Nakua doesn't want that record. Of course he wants that record. Yeah, of course he does. not. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky line. I thought McVay actually did a good job of answering some questions about it today or whatever day it was on that show that he has with J.B. Long where he was like, you know, we know about it. It's there. We want him to, to get there, but we also want to worry about the playoffs. That's what's most important. Yeah, And I, I think, too, as you're looking at Puka Nakua's records, you're looking at you know, continuing to keep your players in motion. Cause that's the other part of it. It's like, do you want to rest starters? Do you like, but like, it's, it's, it seems like everybody's healthy, but you just played a game on the road on the East coast. Like it wouldn't hurt to be able to, to take a couple of extra days off, but the defense, like, I think like the secondary is what everybody's kind of concerned about going into the playoffs. I think what's really interesting about this, um, this matchup that we got out of uh, the giants was like the explosives. We talked about it too, before the game started, we were like, are the explosives for the giants going to be they very much were in this game. Wondell Robinson in the open field was anything that the Rams secondary could not handle. Darius Slayton caught that 80-yard bomb. Tyrod Taylor, one of the best throws he ever made on that play. The secondary yeah. needs to improve. But watching the film back, I noticed that Jordan Fuller and John Johnson on the back end both played 100% of the snaps against the Giants. So it seems like this all seems like it's locked in for the playoffs. So those two guys on the back end, Quinton Lake's getting 85% of the snaps. It's either the dime linebacker or the nickel, depending on the sub package. And then you have Witherspoon getting 100% of the snaps and then on one side. And then you got Durant, 72% of the snaps on the other outside with Kendrick rotating with Durant. So I don't. I, I think that's what they're going to stick with, to be honest. I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for them to still be able to get Kendrick on the field when they need to in certain situations. But to Kobe Durant, I mean, it's maybe it's not his core position, but being able to play outside – I think he's the better, more consistent, less penalized option than Dario Kendrick could be. Although Kendrick made a, like a game-saving play against the Giants. Absolutely. I was, I was about to bring that up. I just literally stuck my hand out to emulate that. <laughs> a, a insanely huge play. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's what's going to happen with with these kind of guys. It's like you, you kind of are rolling the dice. Um, but, I mean, just from offense, defense, special teams, just all three in a row, I don't think I would get give any of them a grade above like a B minus in this game, truly mm-hmm. like, Fair. I, Fair. but when you play that way and you, you know, you have turnovers and you respond and you still somehow find a way to win a game because every team in this league is going to have those type of games, no matter who you are, no matter what the record of the other team is, it's going to turn into a dog fight. And when you're the one on top at the very end, that is, speaks volumes to the type of character and grit that your team actually has and they want and that's all that matters in a situation like this they found a way but the special teams is just atrocious special teams is atrocious we'll get there in a second i want to highlight the defensive players right because kobe turner like in this game kobe turner was incredible he had 10 pressures in this game he was he has a higher double team rate than jalen carter but when you look at the odds do you even see um, Kobe Turner on here anywhere? 
you see Byron Young, you see him at plus 1,500. I see Jalen Carter, Carter at minus 1,000. I see Will Anderson at plus 400. Kobe Turner is nowhere to be seen. Um, and he's statistically better numbers. To me, he deserves to be the defense player of the year. It seems like all the Rams coaches are starting to advocate for it now too. So at least it's going to get a bug in the ear of some of the books. But like I'm thinking to myself, look at the statistics. Side-by-side yeah. side, sack totals. The only thing that Jalen Carter has an advantage in is forced fumbles. And you can't use the Aaron Donald is on this defensive line argument. How many first-round picks from Georgia do the Eagles have? Plus Fletcher Cox, who I believe is younger than Aaron Donald. Maybe they're very close in age if they're not identical in age. So give me a damn break with Aaron Donald. I think Kobe Turner is actually getting double, double teams at a higher rate than Aaron Donald is on the season. So give him his, his defensive player of the year. Kid has earned it. Conduct him all the way to the, the SBs, the honor awards, and give him his damn defense player of the year. I like at least the, the, the version of the game that we were watching. Um, when he got a sack, they did like, dun, 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 to like the commercial <laughs> cutaway and to him in slow motion going like this. I was like, that's really smart. Well done. That's a hey, that's... missed opportunity every other week. Hey, it seems like in blitz opportunities – that our guy Ernest Jones is always there to be right next to Kobe Turner, to be right next to Aaron Donald, to be clogging a gap or making a play or stopping a run or sacking the quarterback. Most tackles in, in single-season Rams history, record broken. Ernest Jones, it just came out today. It's like nobody realized it until this morning, until somebody ran the numbers. Ernest Jones, 145 total tackles compared to James Laronitis, who did it twice for the St. Louis Rams, 142 tackles. Congratulations to Ernest Jones incredible player and I think that the introduction of Bobby Wagner like his numbers were down last year unfortunately because Bobby Wagner consumed 140 tackles how are you supposed to have 145 tackles when Bobby Wagner has 140 of his own so now Ernest Jones has 145 tackles he set the Rams single season all-time record and it seems like he's a foundational core player probably the best player from the 2021 draft as a third round yeah. potentially potentially I, I love the kid. Yeah, I guess we'll still see the jury's still out. But, I mean, he's a guy not in a in the last year of his deal. He's got another year on the rookie deal. So next year is going to be a huge, huge year for him again. Um, I'm excited to see him potentially replicate those numbers. So you got that. And then you also Bobby Brown was banged up a little bit. He hyperextended his knee. He's going to be expected to go for week 18. Good sign. It seems like we have a lot of young, hungry depth guys in Dejuan Johnson and Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill, Jonah Williams, and Nick Hampton. Um, you know, it's it's consistent rotation. Aaron Donald's been dealing with a little bit of a groin injury. He will not tell you how bad that injury actually is. But what you'll see is it decreased snap load, and you'll see increased snap loads by guys like Laurel Merchinson and Jonah Williams and Dejuan Johnson, Mr. Irrelevant. Um, so uh, it just seems like like if you can get one of those guys – to be a part of this class of future foundational players and a brand new core outside of the three weight bearing walls, man, it's going to be fun. I know. And it feels like, you know, you're, you're just gaining that, you know, like Kobe Turner, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, one, two, three, it feels like all three of them are going to be next year, truly weight bearing walls. Yeah. Look at this. I mean, I couldn't be more excited to have, a graphic just built off of the the, the future foundational core, right? Because Kyron Williams, third most scrimmage yards in the NFL, 
Byron Young, third most sacks among all NFL rookies. Kobe Turner tied most sacks among NFL rookies, which I think he has the lead right now. And Puka Nakua is fourth in the entire NFL in reception yards. So that those are your guys. I mean, outside of those three weight-bearing walls, you have Puka, you have Kobe Turner, you have Byron Young, and you have Kyron Williams. You also can name Ernest Jones and a punter, Ethan Evans, maybe. Brett Maher. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there, you, have, you have your front core, your back core, the Marine core. Sorry, <laughs> well, a little office quote. I feel like we've been saying core. Can, just a lot. And that's just it, it's probably me. It's probably on repeat. But speaking of core, it just seems like everything's coming together. It seems like everything's coming together at the right time. I, I don't have any Super Bowl expectations. I don't have any NFC Championship expectations. I have the expectation that they can maybe go into a playoff game into somebody else's building and steal a win. That's about it. If they find themselves in the divisional round, they got to go against the Cowboys, Eagles, the Niners in one of their buildings. It's going to be really difficult. And, you know, of course you want to have optimism. You want to have hope. And they could obviously, you know, steal a game in the divisional round and find themselves in the NFC Championship. But that would be overachieving to the nth, nth, nth degree. Right. I, I, I also, just get it. I, I truly don't believe with a special teams unit this bad that you will get that far. I, honestly, so, like, I, <laughs> that it, to me, that is where the bus stops. I don't, because it's, it's, it's remarkable how bad it's like every play on special teams, you are holding your breath. It's like, oh my God, they they actually punted the ball over sixty yards and it wasn't returned. Like it's <laughs> it's remarkable. So you didn't like watching Gunnar Osluski return a punt on us for the longest no. punt return in, in Giants franchise history. You didn't enjoy watching that. That was like Not Benny Sko taking one. It's like Benny Sko running down the sideline with the hair coming out of the helmet. Like, worse, it's worse than Benny Sko. At least like Skronik <laughs> was like you know like a key factor on the team last no. year. Like why is he three? And I, I can't laugh. Like, as a you know, captain, special teams player, and he also almost jumped over the line and made an incredible special teams play, which should have right. shouldn't have been the flag. Found a uh, fake flag to to throw on that one. Yeah, but I mean, all jokes aside, it's the sixth worst special teams unit in the history of the NFL based on DVOA. So of all time, like I was watching Michigan last night, and I'm thinking to myself, the Rams are equally as bad as the Michigan special teams unit. At any moment, you can make a mistake. And that's the, where the fear comes in. And that's why, you know, there's amongst other reasons, but it just feels like that's it's going to be really, really difficult to overcome in a playoff situation. Yeah, it's it's neglect, which is fine in a retooling season. Like if you're going to neglect one unit, it make it the special teams unit. Like I totally understand. But I mean, I, I just think there's no excuse to having – Lucas Haversick on the team for as long as he was. And then again, no excuse for bringing back uh, this kicker, Brett Maher, who was a, a terrible, like had the worst story last year, worse than Cody Parkey, like worst recent kicker story I've heard. And just, then just set your expectations back. Just put in your head right now a missed kick will end the season. Just, just let it have, like let it already be in your head. It's, I don't, I don't even feel like I'm being pessimistic. It just feels like that's the inevitability of neglecting the kicker position for all this time. So it's special teams. It's a muff punt. You know, it's not being able to cover. All that stuff comes into play.
I don't want to end like, on a negative note, though. Hey, Ethan Evans, kick a field goal. <laughs> you were kicking bombs all day. Hey, you if, can't kick a field goal? Like, come hey, on if, if, if you want Ethan Evans to start kicking field goals, if you're a big fan of the new young core, if you're a big fan of Leslie and Sean McVay and the future of this team, hopefully back in the Super Bowl next year, it seems like they're on the way. Make sure that you... like and subscribe we love you guys we appreciate you apologies for not getting the episode out sooner but work life holidays happy new year we love you guys and go rams the xfl and the usfl have merged to the ufl there are eight teams every single one of those kickers is better than lucas haversick or brett maher (laughs) call one of them right now i'm not sorry thank you everybody for your patience uh, on this episode day. Uh, we, we love you guys. Horns up. Can you smell what the USFL and the XFL are cooking? Can they cook us a kicker? Please. Please. Go Rams. Peace. Peace.